Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to His Word being preached. I'm just going to read you the first verse of Genesis chapter 22. It says, Sometime later God tested Abraham and said, Abraham, he said, here I am. Interesting. Um, how Adam shared about testing, and I actually put what was that scripture in Peter that you had? The testing of your faith? I followed that scripture and I thought that was from that scripture, but I didn't actually look it up. Um, but uh, that scripture was on my heart, and um, I noticed when, like George said, you know, when um, not only Abraham and Moses, but Samuel and Mary and all the people in the Bible, when God calls their name, they say, here I am. Which was a typical Jewish response of a servant when they asked to call them. Um, and uh, it's just amazing to me how the Holy Spirit speaks in all kinds of different people in His body, saying pretty much the same thing in different ways, so that we can know it's Him speaking. And, uh, and not just us, that He's actually speaking through us, and that, that we can really listen to Him. And hearing. So what was tested? It says um, God tested Abraham. What did God want to test? What did God want to find out? What, what did God want to find in Abraham? Um, and later on, I'm going to read the chapter for you in a moment. But later on in verse 12, it says, uh, Do not lay hands on the boy, because this is the account of where we have to go up to Mount Moriah and sacrifice his son Isaac. Uh, God, the angel of the Lord says, do not lay a, uh, a hand on him, do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Now I know you fear God, now I know you fear me. So, <clears throat> um, God tests us to find, and like uh, Abraham rightly said, um, in a sense he tests us, and, and he often says that, to see what is in us, but, but obviously he knows what's in us before before he tests us. So more than that is for us to see what is in us. Um, the fear, the fear of God. He tests to see whether the fear of God is in us. Now, what is the fear of God? I just want to read you uh, two passages, and those who have your Bibles can turn with me to Psalm 33, um, just to give you a little idea what the fear of the Lord is. <coughs> If you want to, you can go and read the whole psalm at home. It's a very powerful psalm. But I'm just going to read verse 8 and then from verse 18. It says, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere Him. Okay? Let, let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere Him. Uh, respect Him or revere Him. Verse uh, 9 goes on to say, for he spoke and it, uh, and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. Why well, I read this line, I want you to see. Um, it says, he, he spoke and it came to be. And then he says pretty much the same thing. He commanded and it stood firm. And that's a typical Jewish thing in Jewish poetry. You, it's called parallelism. Where you say the same thing twice in different words. So that they mutually interpret one another. Now that's exactly what he's doing in verse 8. That's why he says, let all the earth fear the Lord. And then the parallelism, let all the people of the world revere him. So can you see what fearing the Lord is? Fearing the Lord, <coughs> a big part of fearing the Lord is reverence. 
definition of green loan, I'm going to read this IT now and, and show you the rest of, uh, of what it means. But it's reverential trust and love for God. Reverential trust and love towards God. That is what the fear of the Lord is. Reverential trust and love towards God. Um, listen to what this IT says. It says, that the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear Him, on those who hope in His unfailing love. That the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear Him, on those who hope in His unfailing love. You see again the parallelism. To fear the Lord is to hope or to trust in His unfailing love. That is the fear of the Lord. Now, there's a lot, there are hundreds of scriptures in the, in the Bible that deal with the fear of the Lord. So you can, uh, I can't cover all of them. I just wanted to give you sort of an idea of what the fear of the Lord is since we're going to talk about that. Since that is the thing that's being tested in Abraham's life. And that is the thing that's often tested in our life. And it's, in a sense, a testing of our faith, like Abraham was, was sharing, and a testing of our love for God and our reverence towards Him, our respect for Him. So Abraham was tested whether he feared, in other words, whether he trusted, loved, and respected God above all. That's the, the fear of the Lord. And, and something very important to notice, which um, Haman actually mentioned, uh, and which I just want to reinforce um, through a different scripture. Exodus 20, verse 20 says, Moses said to the people, and this is, um, you know, young George was reading about the burning bush, uh, which Moses found on the mountain while he was shepherding his father, uh, father, father-in-law's flock. He came to a bush and the bush was on fire. Uh, and then God, through this burning bush, told him to go and fetch the Israelites. The children of Israel, take them out of Egypt and deliver them. And when he came back to the mountain, the whole mountain was on fire. Okay? And that those Israelites were very afraid. They were, they were terrified. And listen to what Moses says to them. He says, Do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. Now, why I read that scripture is most people, I mean, the, the connotation we have to fear of the Lord, the word fear, the fear of God, we have a negative connotation to fear, like phobia or being afraid. But Moses specifically says, don't be afraid. You see that? Don't be afraid because God has come to test you so that the fear of the Lord may be upon you so that you will not sin. So can you see that the fear of God is not fear in a negative sense. It's not a phobia. It's not being afraid of God. In fact, the fear of the Lord draws you closer to God. Um, there's a scripture in Psalm 25. I think it's verse 8 where it says, <clears throat> um, The friendship of the Lord belongs to those who fear Him, and He reveals His covenant to them. In other words, the fear of the Lord causes you to draw near to God as a friend, as a... So you see, it's not a phobia, it's not a negative fear. It's a positive thing. Okay, it's a very positive thing, this, this um, fear of the Lord. And that's what, what Moses says. He says, do, do not be afraid. No, it's, it, this is the fear of God. It's God. What God's doing now is testing you to produce the fear of God. But it's not a, a terrifying fear, phobia fear. He says, God is going to test you so that the fear of God might be with you. Because the testing itself produces the fear of God. It doesn't only test the fear of God, but it produces and increases the fear of God. Exactly like Abraham was saying. 
The testing of something makes it more pure. It's like when you take gold, which is impure, and you put it in fire and it melts, and all the impurities melt to the top and you take them off. Actually, what you have left is more pure gold. And the same happens with our faith, our reverential faith and love towards God when it's tested. God purifies. It actually increases. It actually, in a sense, grows, becomes more pure, becomes more powerful. So God doesn't only test us to see what's in us, but God, God's testing of us also purifies us and what is in us. So let's, let's go back to Genesis 22. And those of you who have uh, Bibles here, um, you're welcome to follow with me. I'm going to be reading from the NIV. So you're welcome to follow with me in your Bible. It's a pretty well-known account. And the danger with well-known accounts is always that we know it so well that we switch off. And we don't really pick up. But this is one of the most powerful narratives in the entire Bible. And okay, I'm sure you can see that. And you're going to like, be like, whoa, you know, I didn't know that. You know, I didn't see that. I didn't notice that. Because it's just so absolutely powerful. And, and why one of the reasons why I'm sharing this on Father's Day is Romans 4 calls Abraham our father, the father of the faith. Father of the faith. And the promises were given to Abraham to his seed. And he's this powerful, um, this big life, this epic life. In which, and a lot, not only was he blessed, but a lot of other people were blessed too. We were blessed too. Thousands of years later, we are blessed because of Abraham and through Abraham. And the reason why he was such a father that gave birth uh, uh, to, to so much of the purpose of God was because of his faith and his fear, his fear of God. And, and, and to the fathers, if we want to be a father like Abraham, we need that same kind of faith and that same kind of fear of God. Abraham was a, was a normal human being just like us. He was free. Fallen. It, was, it wasn't because he was, you know, particularly amazingly holy in himself that God chose him or, chose him or used him. I mean, just think about it. He goes with his wife Sarah, who's his half-sister, um, that, that, uh, and then when he goes to this king, Abimelech's kingdom, he says, tell, tell the people of the kingdom that you're my sister, because you're very beautiful, and they might be tempted to kill me to get you. Okay? And she, she wasn't even lying. And she said, I'm, I'm his sister. She wasn't lying, because she was his half-sister. Okay? But, um, you know, he, he, he deceives Abimelech, and, and, uh, and, and these things happen, and, and he tries to hide the fact that, he's, uh, that she's his wife. Um, when, when, he, when she can't conceive, Sarah offers her maidservant Hagar as a concubine to Abraham, and he accepts it. Okay. Never a good idea. If you go back to Genesis you know, 1, 2, and 3, you see that God's ideal for marriage is one man <laughs> and one woman for life. That's God's ideal for marriage. And wherever you have more than one wife, bad things always happen. And I'm specifically 
specifically referring to the biblical narrative. But that's also true, you know? <laughs> because what, what's reflected in the biblical narrative is true in reality. Abraham made many mistakes, you know, many mistakes. Um, so it wasn't because he was such a good person that God used him and that he was the father of the faith. It was in spite of the fact that he was a very average, normal person. But he one chose to believe God. And he chose to trust God. And he chose to fear God. Um, and trust him, love him, respect him above all else. So let's, let's read this account of, of Abraham. It says in Genesis 22 verse 1, Sometime later God tested Abraham. He said to Abraham, and he said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey and took them, uh, he took them, sorry, saddled and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. And the two of them went on together. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Imagine what must have been going through Abraham's head and heart as his son asking that question. Can you imagine that? Abraham answered. I love his answer. It's actually an, an, an amazing answer. Simple as God himself will provide a lamb for the burnt offering of my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. The angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. There's that same response, here I am. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by his horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. And to this day he said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, swear, I swear by myself. I swear by myself, declares the Lord. 
And because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars of the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed Then Abraham returned to his servants and they set off together for Beersheba. And Abraham stayed in Beersheba. Father God, we just thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you that your word is so amazing, Lord. Lord, we have to, when we read this, Lord, remind ourselves, Lord, that this happened thousands of years ago. Three, four thousand years ago. Lord, and that all along, Lord, you've been working with the plan. Thank you, Lord, that, that this reveals so much of your heart, of who you are, and how amazing you are. And we just pray, Holy Spirit, that as you minister your word through our hearts, that we will really get it. That we will really get it. And that on this Father's Day, Lord, we will not only see the heart of Father Abraham, but that we'll see the heart of Father God. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I want you to see through this, and I'm going to be sharing a few different things. So reading through the passage and giving a bit of running one, Two of the things I want you to see is that faith, the fear of the fear of the Lord, which, which is reverential trust, faith, and love for God. The fear of the Lord will take you beyond yourself and what you um, and what you are able to naturally do, what you are naturally capable of, and will Take you beyond um, what will take you beyond what you expect God to do. It will force you to go beyond what you are naturally able to do, and it will, and, and in response to it, God will go beyond what you expect Him to do and do a lot more than you expect Him to do. So. Firstly, um, it says, God tested Abraham. And, and the test was, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on Mount Moriah. Now, just think of this in context. When Abraham was, at that stage, probably around 110 to 120 years old. 110 to 115 odd years old. He'd been waiting a long time for his son. He got his son, Isaac, when he was 9900 years old. Actually, I passed it years of waiting. And some, some of you, you know, um, you know, as couples may, maybe have a struggle to fall pregnant, you know. Uh, only two or five or seven or ten years of waiting can be hectic. Abraham had to wait decades. And God promised him. God said, I'm going to bless you and through your descendants. I'm going to bless all the nations. That's in Genesis chapter 12 and again in Genesis chapter 15. I'm going to bless you. So God promised him. He heard in that promise is the promise of offspring, of children. And now God makes Abraham wait years, decades to actually give him a son. 
son. And when he has actually given him the son, Isaac was probably a teenager at that time. God says to him, I want you to sacrifice the son. I want you to take him to Mount Moriah and sacrifice him as a burnt offering. Can you see what God is testing? God is testing whether Abraham's faith goes beyond, Abraham's trust in his faith goes beyond God's gifts to God himself. You see, because in order for the promise to be fulfilled, Abraham had to have a son. And then the temptation was there when God gave him the son and we trust him the son rather than God bless us with something in response to a promise He gave us. And then we, without sometimes even realizing, shift our trust away from God, the giver, the gift, the most. How easy is that to happen? Does that happen to us as human beings? So and, 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 and God is testing Abraham here to see, does your faith now rest in your son, who I've given you and blessed you with, or does your trust will rest in me? And the amazing thing is, Abraham passed it. And it must have been really hard. It must have been really hard. I mean, if you have children, you can imagine how hard this must be. He trusts in God, not in the gift that God has given him. And the amazing thing is, um, and this is the second way how faith helps you to go beyond, or forces you, true faith, through the fear of the Lord, helps you to go beyond. It, it, it forces you to go beyond acceptance to obedience. It forces you to go beyond acceptance of God's word to obedience to God's word. So it, it's so easy to hear God's word when it's preached. Or when the Holy Spirit speaks to you or something, and then say, um, <laughs> Lord, I don't really like what you're saying to me. Uh, I'll think about it. I'll pray about it. Right? <laughs> uh, isn't that what we do when God tells us to do things we don't like? Lord, uh, I'll pray about it. Lord, I don't have peace about this. How much peace do you think Abraham had about sacrificing his son? Where on earth do we get this idea that you must first have peace about what God has said to you before you can obey what God has said? You really think Abraham had peace about sacrificing his son? Really? I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to slaughter a holy cow here, okay? This charismatic holy cow, I must have peace before I obey God? There's no one in scripture where it says that. Hello? Can you show me one scripture where it says that? There's no scripture that says that. Often God's going to tell you stuff that you don't have peace about. You tell the little teenage unmarried Mary you're going to get pregnant. Ooh, I don't have peace about that. That's, that's uh, unseemly, you know. I could get stoned for that. I really don't have peace about this. A lot of the stuff that God tells people in scripture are things like this that he tells Abraham. Amen. We don't have any peace about it. 
says, it was really early the next morning when everyone got up and sat on the ground. The two servants, Isaac, got the word early the next morning. See, proof faith always results in obedience. The book of Romans, Romans 1 verse 5, and again in chapter 16, I think it's verse 27, all says, I'm preaching this gospel to bring about the obedience of faith. See, God wants obedience from us, but it's not that you can be obedient without faith. And that kind of obedience doesn't say that the gospel, if we truly believe it, we truly have faith in Jesus and in God, the gospel brings about the obedience of faith. The obedience, the kind of obedience that flows out of faith. And that was the kind of obedience that Abraham had there. Obedience to something that God told him to do, which he, I can guarantee you, did not want to do. But with all his heart, he does not want to do. Trusted God. Trusted God. And you can just imagine it for three days traveling from Beersheba to Mount Moriah. And in the evenings, I mean, there wasn't all the light pollution you have around today. It is like Job, but you can see the stars. Just imagine your mind awake there, not being able to sleep, looking up at the stars and saying, God, you promised like the stars are there. Like a handful of sand and running it through his fingers, saying, Lord, you promised the sand on the seashore, and now you want me to sacrifice. Now you want me to sacrifice. And then he goes on and he says, He said to the servants when they got to the mountain, Yet stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go up there. We will worship. And then you'll come back to me. That's amazing. That's powerful. We will worship him. Abraham. Abraham is calling the most difficult, most traumatic experience of his life worship. God called him to sacrifice his son. He's going up the mountain. He's saying we're going to worship. And you do the difficult things that God calls you to do as worship. Can you call it worship? See, through faith, the fear of God will take you beyond duty to worship. The fear of the Lord will cause you, like Abraham, to call the most difficult things in your life that God commands you to do worship. No matter what it is that you need to give up. No matter how difficult it is. No matter how traumatic it is. No matter how it breaks your heart. Call it worship. Worship. And that's true worship. That is true worship. Why could Abraham do that? Why could Abraham offer that kind of worship to the Lord? It says so. It says, we'll go up to worship and what does it say? I'll come back. You see what it says? It says, and we come back. And you know, in the book of Hebrews, if you want to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11, 
it mentions Abraham quite a bit. And it says in verse 17, By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promise was about to sacrifice the one and his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, It is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Listen to this, verse 19. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead, and figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. You see why Abraham could call the most difficult experience of his life worship? Because he trusted the one who had called him to do it. He said, God had made a promise. I promised that my offspring will be through Isaac. So I don't understand what's going on here. I don't understand why God is calling me to sacrifice life. It doesn't make sense to me. It seems to even contradict God's own promises. I trust Him. I trust Him enough to know that He knows better than me. And, and, and if He wants me to kill my son, I'm, I'm going to trust Him and obey Him. Trust Him that He can even raise Him from the dead. Because somehow, both God's command for me to go sacrifice my, my son and his promise that through this very son, Isaac, my offspring will be counted. must be true. I don't understand how both can be true at the same time because they seem contradictory. This doesn't make sense to me. But I trust the one who gave the command as much as I trust the one who gave the promise. Because it's the same father, the same God. Trust me. I trust Him. Do you trust God enough to obey Him if it doesn't make sense? Don't worry, God's not going to require you to sacrifice your son. He won't. And I'll show you later why He won't. But can you obey Him when His commands don't make sense? And so often they don't. So often they don't. So often there's something we feel God has promised us and then He commands us to do something which seems to completely undermine the promise. Even the possibility of that promise coming true. And then the question is, do we trust God? Do we trust God more than we trust ourselves? Do we trust God's judgment, God's wisdom, more than we trust ourselves and our own wisdom? That was Abraham's test. And you trust God when He does not sense. What it tells you, what we need you, doesn't make sense. There are some of you who might feel, you're feeling now like you've been led to Mount Moriah to go and do something in obedience to God which doesn't make sense. Do you trust Him enough to obey Him, even while it doesn't make sense? Do you trust Him that much? So that's the test of our faith. The test of our faith. So, um, if you can trust God that much, that kind of faith, faith that Abraham had, causes you to go beyond duty worship. Where your obedience to God is not just I'm obeying because God said so, and I'm sort of gnashing my teeth and grudgingly obeying God. But I'm, I'm doing it as worship to God. Even though it's painful. Even though it's confusing. Even though it doesn't make sense. I'm giving that worship to the Lord because I trust Him. I trust Him. 
that kind of true faith of fear of the Lord also looks, it doesn't only look beyond the gift of God to God Himself, it doesn't only cause you to move beyond acceptance of the word to obedience to the word, move beyond duty to worship, but it, it, it causes you to look beyond the sacrifice to the substitute. When now here I know I I cannot share what's in the scripture adequately, so you're gonna really have to hear from the Holy Spirit. When you see this, this is really powerful and amazing. Okay, I, I can only sort of show you the tip of the iceberg in the text, and, and then you go about facing the other seven eights that below the surface. Of the spiritual realm beyond the veil. So let's see if we can we can see. Abraham walks with his son Isaac, and Isaac asks him that terrible question: Father, is the fire, the wood, where is the lamb for the sacrifice for the burnt offering? And Abraham gives that profound answer. God himself will provide a land as a burnt offering. God himself will provide a land as a burnt offering. And I think it's very clear for us to see that this Isaac, the supernatural, the birth was supernatural, in other words, barren. This supernaturally birthed seed of Abraham points forward to another, even more supernaturally seed of Abraham. And Abraham says, God Himself will provide a man for the burnt offering. And Isaac. Abraham placed the wood on Isaac and he carried it up the mountain. Fast forward in your mind a few thousand years, for the God also had wood placed on his son and he carried it up the hill, up the mountain, to be sacrificed. And Abraham lifts the knife. And the angel of the Lord says, Abraham, Abraham, stay your hand. Now I know that you love me. Now I know that you fear me. Now I know that you trust me. And then Abraham sees, not a lamb, a ram caught by its morning gifts. And the point why it's different is because you're supposed to see that what Abraham said prophetically, God will provide for himself a lamb, is not fulfilled in the ram. Not fulfilling the ram. And then he says, Abraham, look up, and there in the thickets he saw a ram caught by his horns, and he went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. This is the very first time in the entire Bible that the idea of a substitutionary sacrifice is mentioned. And we know that the principle of first mention, when you Something is mentioned for the first time in scripture. Very significant. Very significant. This is the very first time 
where something is sacrificed as a substitute instead of someone else. See, Isaac was going to die. He was going to be sacrificed. And God provided the ram as a substitute. The ram was not the lamb which Abraham had prophesied. The lamb which God provided for himself. But then he says, because Abraham had received the substitute, he remembered. Just imagine Abraham's relief. Just imagine Abraham's relief. When God, when the angel of the Lord says, Stop! Stay your hand! Don't harm the boy! Oh, thank you, God. <laughs> I'm sure he's weak. He's, he's got completely weak. And then God provides substitute. You see, that same relief, we should register. That same relief, because our sons and our daughters don't have to be sacrificed. We, as sons and daughters, don't have to be sacrificed. Because the substitute is provided by whom? By himself. God provides a substitute. And, and, and Abraham calls that mount of Mount Moriah, calls it Jehovah Jireh. Yahweh Jireh. Which means the Lord will provide. And to this day, the text says, it is said that on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. What will be provided? God will provide himself a lamb and sacrifice. In Three days 
as he traveled to Mount Moriah for three days, he went through the anguish of us on his death. I still have to do it, I still have to fulfill this intention of killing my son that is already actually dead. Imagine how I felt. His son, his only son who he loves, who he dead. See, now you start to understand how God the Father felt. Because his son was really dead. Not almost, not figuratively, truly, actually dead for three days in the grave. Died on the cross. Lay in the grave for three days. After he also carried the wheel of the cross up the hill, he sacrificed on it. And it was on that very same mount, Mount Moriah, which later became Mount Zion, where Jerusalem and the temple were built. On that very same mount, the mountain of the Lord, God did provide for himself a lamb as a sacrifice, as he had intended all along. As he had intended all along. It is better. It's even better. Then he reached out his hand and took a knife to slay his son. And remember it was his it says in, in, in verse 1, take your son, your only son whom you love. Does that sound familiar? Matthew, Mark, Luke, all record at the beginning of Jesus' public ministry, Jesus is baptized. The heavens open up. The Holy Spirit comes down like a dove, descending on Jesus, and a voice, the voice of the Father calls from heaven. This is my other son. This is the son. Like Isaac is the son whom Abraham loves, so Jesus is the son whom the Father loves. And from the beginning of his public ministry, you see the, the cross goes a very long shadow. The cross is not just at the end of Jesus' ministry. It throws a very long shadow all the way to the beginning of his ministry. Because from the beginning, Jesus knew, and the Father told him, you will be that beloved son that Isaac only pointed. You would be the Lamb of God. Isn't that what John the Baptist said? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You will be the Lamb of God, the Lamb that God provides for himself as a sacrifice, as an offering. You will be, you are that beloved son. You are that Lamb of God. He lifts up, Abraham lifts up the knife to slay his son. And then he says, the angel of the Lord called out from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, do not lay a hand on the water. That is what saying. The angel of the Lord. Who is this angel of the Lord? Do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. What does the word angel mean? With angel, both in the Greek and in the Hebrew, means both an angel like with wings, you know, that can fly, and messenger. Who is this angel? Who is this messenger of the Lord? Who is clearly himself the Lord? Because later on it says, um, the angel of the Lord called.
walk away from him. And the second time, I swear by myself, declares the Lord. So this angel of the Lord is not like the angel Gabriel. Remember when the angel Gabriel comes to Mary, the angel Gabriel speaks on behalf of God. He says, thus saith the Lord. The angel of the Lord never says, thus saith the Lord. The angel of the Lord says, this says I, the Lord. The angel of the Lord says, you have not withheld your son from me. Angel of the Lord. Here's the thing, the angel of the Lord is the Lord. But how can someone be sent by the Lord, be a messenger for the Lord, and be the Lord? Well, the Jews had a lot of trouble with this in the Old Testament. We understand it a bit more in the New Testament now that we understand the Trinity, that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. See, the angel of the Lord, the messenger of the Lord, is none other than. Of the enemies. 
and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because you're obeying them. You see, once you can see beyond the immediate sacrifice, Isaac, to the ultimate substitute, Jesus, you can see that this is a lot bigger than just you. Abraham could see it was a lot bigger than just him. Because then God promised it. Through you, and just read that again, your descendants will take the position of the gates of these enemies, and through your offspring, all the nations of them. The word there in the Hebrew is literally through your seed. Through your seed. So imagine this. Abraham's seed, Isaac, is lying on the altar, on the wood, as a sacrifice. The God, the angel of the Lord, doesn't accept that sacrifice. He says, no, don't, don't do that sacrifice. I just wanted to test your faith. I just wanted to test your heart. And then he says, through your seed, and in Galatians 3, I think it's verse 60, it says, um, all the apostles says, and he says, the promise was given to Abraham and to his seed. Not seeds as in many, but seed. Offspring, seed as in one. That one is Christ. You see, when you see beyond the sacrifice of the substitute, you can see that the sacrifice, the substitute is so big. This one who's, who's sacrificed instead of is so big that it cannot just be in the place of Isaac. It cannot just be in the place of the descendants of Abraham in the natural. It goes beyond that to all the nations. In this seed, in this Jesus, this Lamb God will provide for himself. This beloved Son will be sacrificed. All the nations of the earth will be blessed. You want to live a big life like Abraham did? A life that goes beyond yourself? You will see beyond. Abraham by faith saw beyond. Beyond just the sacrifice of his son to the substitute to his son pointed. Beyond just his own family to all the nations through whom that will be blessed through him and specifically through his sin. Can you see why I say that this is one of the most amazing portions of scripture in the Bible? You see, true faith in God Will always cause you to go beyond. Go beyond yourself in obedience, in trust in God, in worship to God, but go beyond the mere physical. Or go beyond any sacrifice for the ultimate sacrifice. How can how can you how could Abraham make that sacrifice? How could he even be willing to make that sacrifice for son? How can how can you trust God so much that you're willing to make such difficult like Abraham was speaking. Jesus says, Abraham saw my dad and rejoiced. If you can see the sacrifice God made for you, if you can see how big, how huge the sacrifice is that God made for you, then no sacrifice that God calls you to make is to be. Compared to the sacrifice God made for you, every sacrifice He calls you to make is minute, tiny. Small, insignificant, easy. And once you see how much he has sacrificed, 
becomes easy for you to sacrifice and give in return. The little sacrifices he made cause us to make become doable. And only in the light of the massive sacrifice he made. And then, when we see that, when we see what he sacrificed for us, we can say, Lord, now we know that you love us. Because you did not withhold your son, your only son whom you loved from us. Now we know. Can you see Jesus as the ultimate sacrifice in such a way that he causes you to say, Lord, now I know that you love me. Now I know that you love me. Because you proved it on the cross by giving your son, your only son, the ultimate sacrifice. Can you see Jesus in the sacrifice of Jesus in that way? You will not know how much God loves you until you see that. And we really have no idea how much God loves us, do we? We have no idea. God loves you so much more than you even begin to understand or comprehend or realize. And it's when you receive that love by receiving Jesus and receiving the revelation of how awesome I mean, Abraham had to walk for three days with the knowledge that he was going to sacrifice his son. And he never did sacrifice his son. God lived from eternity past with the knowledge that he would sacrifice his son. The Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. And he was willing to do that for you and me. And that love Father God, we come to you this morning in Jesus' name.
Thanks for listening to this message from Shasta Johannesburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.jobberg.